it's a holiday no matter what today actually i forgot it was wednesday it felt like a a saturday today and i was like oh i was just about to have a little nap and then i'm like oh geez it's wednesday i gotta go live so here i am going live i'm gonna plug in my phone so that it doesn't die um oh i just plugged it in backwards i think if anyone has any questions just drop them down below i don't have anything pre-recorded to say or anything that I've kind of thought about saying this week. To be honest, I realized five minutes ago that it was the Wise Wall Show. So here we are. Um, I think that uh, it's been a crazy week. What was the last time I talked to you guys? Before Christmas. So if I didn't say it before, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. We're going into a new year in two days. We're going into 2021, which is going to be a crazy year for a lot of different industries. There's gonna be some big ramifications, I think, related to some of the money supply stuff, related to some of the industries that have been struggling right now. So that'll be something that I think, you know, I think in a big way that's gonna have some impacts and some changes. But at the same time, I think that it could mean a lot of opportunities. There could be opportunities where there weren't before. And so I'll take advantage of those. For 2021, I had some big, hairy, audacious goals. Um, one of my goals for 2021 is to do the 75 hard challenge. So that'll be really fun. I'll be already intermittent fast. So I only eat in a seven or eight hour window every day and I fast for 16 or 17 hours. Typically 18 hours is what I strive for, but I'll fall short sometimes and eat something at 17 and a half hours. As long as I'm past 16 hours, I go through autophagy and I go through ketosis. First you go through ketosis and then you go through autophagy. And autophagy is a fantastic thing. It cleans up the brain plaque cleans up all the negative things in your body. You can lose weight and have no stretch marks. Your skin will literally, um, your body will heal itself and it will eat the excess and put it to work. So autophagy, check it out if you haven't heard of it before. But from a fitness perspective, it's one of my goals for 2021. From a passive income fire approach, I'm looking for a seven figure passive income year. So next year I've got it set to do a million in passive income. And that includes four or five sources, one of them being real estate cash flow, real estate appreciation at 2.7 to 3% conservatively. I think we're gonna have a much better year than that, but I'm trying to be conservative. Uh, and then obviously stock hacking, stock trading, uh, my actual stock dividend portfolio, as well as some capital appreciation on that. Uh, private lending will be another major income stream. And then that's on the passive side, so hopefully that's uh, seven figures. And then there's obviously like that I'm a realtor, there's some lead referrals there. Definitely with the, the YouTube stuff, I'm sure I could generate a bit of extra income if I wanted to. On the flipping side, so many deals fall in my lap, so many new acquisitions. So the seven figure year was assuming no new acquisitions, but I'm sure that deals will fall in my lap. I'll take some of those on. So I've got some, some goals set financially in that space. A seven figure passive year would mean, without appreciation, would mean, or like minor inflation appreciation, would mean I finally made it to fat fire. I think by definition, that's the Lux fire. That's, that's the fat fire goal. And so 2021 marks my gross art being legitimately uh, Lux fire, fat fire, no more. Like it's like well below 1% safe withdrawal rate rule, right? So it's safely there, which is cool. Uh, I've set some big goals for travel. I want to do eight traveling uh, trips next year. Some places I want to go and some places I want to see and things I want to do. There's some big goals around development and mentorship. If anyone knows any people who are at that next level, who are well into the seven figures in annual 
uh, income who are eight-figure net worth or more um, type folks. I'm looking to connect with people like that just to broaden my own um, horizons, to learn new things, to think about things from a different lens. I need to find some good mentors. Um, so that's been a, a big one to um, towards one of my goals for 2021 in personal development in that space. So that's something that I'm doing for 2021. Um, is looking to grow in that space. I already do a ton of mentorship as it is for people, you know, below my level who are trying to grow. And I'll continue to do that. It's still something that I'm, I'm big on. One of my goals that I set for 2021 was to produce more content. And I think it's going to take the shape of, for the first time ever, though I would never say this, but courses and books. Um, I think there's a, a big need for content that, and maybe it's free, Maybe I charge something small or nominal for it. Maybe it's a money back guarantee. I don't know. But I think there's something there where someone pays for something and they care more about it. They take action. When you give them something something free, they just, they don't care. Um, so that's something where I've been noodling on that one for a long time. And I think that's finally coming to fruition where I can make a business case around sustainability where it's not really about the profit. I'll probably donate the profit to a local charity or some good cause. But I think if you can make a business around it, and it can become sustainable, you could reinvest in the growth and getting the message out there. So if even 100 people bought said course, I could reinvest all that into advertising or something, or you know, half into advertising, half into you know, some not-for-profit charity, and I could grow the following. I could grow the basically get the message to more people. So that's something that I was at first against. Like I didn't really want to monetize content, but I think if you can position really good quality content, like top notch, better than what most people are producing, which I think isn't that hard to do. There's so many people selling courses and writing books who are not experts, who haven't had seven figure consecutive years. And they're teaching about real estate, they're teaching about Airbnb and they've done like three. Um, there's so much of that going on where I think that those are terrible courses. People are just not, they're just kids who have done it a couple times and they put a course out and they're selling a ton of it. And I'm like, there needs to be some quality material out there. And so I think there's a need for that. It's on my goal list, maybe write a book, maybe it's in the form of courses, I don't know. Um, writing a book's a lot of work, sit down and, and write like a 150 page book. I've got some outlines in my head and, and scribbled on paper, but it's a lot. So that was a goal for 2021 for me. And um, some family goals that I have, some personal goals that I had too, which I'm not gonna share all those here. But um, yeah, I'm just really excited. 2021 is gonna be a really, really good year. I, 2020, as bad as it was for you know operations on my business because COVID's made everything really hard, the appreciation like I made multiple seven figures this year in appreciation like I I had never since 2019 was the first year I'd ever made more than a million dollar increase in my net worth, and this year it was like just been it's been crazy to watch my uh, my net worth grow as it has and how much impact that's had and so a lot of it's been rebalancing a lot of what I already have so. Here we go, let's do some questions. Seema, hey, how you doing? Sanan Skinner says, do you think East London is going to go above $500,000 average house in 2021? Uh, it depends on, like East London's pretty broad, right? There's a lot of pockets in East London that already have detached houses worth more than $500,000 on average. Um, it depends on the type of house too, right? Like you're talking a two bedroom small shack or you're talking a five bedroom detached house. So it depends on which category you're looking within. But yeah, I think the market, the way things are going, we're looking at 2021 being another 2020. And so we may see another 20% appreciation year, which 
case, I'll pull 12 millions of dollars again. Um, I, I sold a lot off this year, actually. I sold a lot of properties. I halved my real estate portfolio. Um, people who don't know who are, who are following me, uh, more than half my net worth is not even in real estate right now. Um, I'm actually heavy in, in a stock portfolio right now that I've kind of built. So 2021, keep an eye out for that. I'm gonna start talking a little bit more about that side as well, how you can invest more passively outside of real estate. Although I still love real estate, it's a big asset class. And for me, it was the way that I built a lot of my wealth, right? Um, but yeah, I, I think that 500,000 is very possible for any detached house um, in London, Ontario. I think that's, we're getting to that point. Now there's stuff on MLS right now for $250,000 that's run down, shacks, bad areas, you know, that kind of stuff. You'll find that, that'll, that'll still continue to exist. Less and less, but those opportunities are out there. Next question is, uh, where do you see interest rates going in 2020 or staying flat or decreasing? Well, 2021 is in a couple of days. So I think for 2021, in the short term, they're gonna stay exactly where they are or they're going to go lower. The economy can't, the, the national debt, it, honestly, nothing can afford, no business, the economy in general, no one, like the consumers, the businesses, no one can afford, the government themselves and their own debt, they can't afford to sustain interest rate rises. They just can't. The problem with not raising interest rates right now is we're devaluing the currency. We're printing so much money to force the interest rates where they are right now that the only people who in this economy should want to buy 10-year treasuries or you know government bonds at that kind of yield is the government themselves buying their own bonds by printing more money. Um, I, I certainly would have no interest in, in US treasuries right now to park my money. I'd rather park it in like gold or silver or something that's not um, a currency that's that can be manipulated so easily and devalued so easily. So I think it's less likely that we'll see hyperinflation and more likely we'll see currency devaluation, um, especially for the countries like Canada that are printing a ton and giving it out um, for COVID relief stimulus packages, right? So yeah, I, I don't know um, what the future holds. Interest rates have to rise. They can't stay where they are and us not go through a hyperinflation or a currency destabilization, at least in certain sectors like real estate, I think we could see another 25% appreciation year in Southwestern Ontario, which is insane. It's already so unaffordable for real estate, but it's possible that with all the money that they're printing and the super low interest rates, those things together create a perfect storm for real estate to just boom, right? Where there's currently, people don't wanna sell. Like people just want to hold on to real estate because it's skyrocketing. No one wants to sell. And there's a, a huge demand. People have money more so now than ever before. And there's no supply. Like if you go on MLS right now, there's like in the last week, there's been like no listings popping up in my market. And so that's something to think about when we talk about the supply and demand curves in real estate here. There's, there's just not enough supply. And COVID's making it very hard for builders to build. It's making it near impossible for guys like me to go do secondary dwelling unit conversions. I've been trying to get like six done this year and we got two done. Like I've been waiting six months for permits. So you can't get anything done um, with the city being being so, you know, backlogged with COVID delays and everything. It's just been crazy. So there's a lack of supply. It's just a fact. And the demand is stronger than it's ever been. People are moving out from the major metropolitans and they're buying where it's cheaper and they're moving to cities where they can telecommute and they can work from home now. They are looking for places for their their money to go a little further. So I think that I'm extremely bullish on areas in Southwestern Ontario that are not Toronto, not Vancouver, right? Like the outside of the major metropolitans, I think there's a good 
good opportunity. But at the same time, like all it takes is one, one nasty catalyst to drop demand, like a, for instance, a rise in interest rates and real estate's going to go in the shitter real quick. So it's, it's a very sensitive, um, very sensitive topic, I guess it, it could go on either way. I feel like if you're buying real estate, buy for cash flow so you can hold. Because 10 years from now, real estate's gonna be much more valuable than it was today. That's a guarantee. Um, but yeah. Yannis just loves my hair, eh? Every, every video, he's like, look at that hair. Yeah, it's, it's, I haven't gone bald yet. I, I like to let it just you know, do its thing because I still have hair for now. And uh, there's, always, there's always a cure for losing your hair, eh? There's, you just take this one pill a day, it's called a finasteride. If anyone knows about that, you can um, look it up. There's knockoff versions too that people buy, but you can take this pill that makes sure your hair never falls out and like really high probability. So that almost is a cure for balding if you take it early enough. I'm not on it right now, but I've obviously looked at it. If my hair continues to to recede, it's something I've thought about. Um, yeah, so there you go. Pro tip for anyone who's worried about going bald, even women, you can look at uh, Finastrid. 75 hard, get it, Mike, <laughs> thanks. Is it too soon to ask or fish for a promotion if you've only had the job for a year, but you know you add a lot of value to your employer? Um, well, if you add a lot of value, it's, it's never too soon. You could be there six months and say, hey, I had a lot of value. Hey, we got a super chat. Whoa. Wow, 50 bucks. Thank you, William. Appreciate it. And not only is William giving a super chat right now, but uh, he is also really, really loyal. He's almost every single stream I see William Burkhead in the comments. So big thank you for that. Happy New Year. Really appreciate it, man. Uh, third place in Detroit. BSIG bed off by city and rent it out. Thank you. Let's look out for 2021. Look forward to it. Really appreciate your channel. I don't want this word as your B, B, C. Oh, I see. You did another comment after signed off. Detroit signed off. City and rented out. Nice. So your looks like your property was a success. City signed off on the permit, and you're good to go. Which is that's awesome, especially during COVID when it, you know uh, most of the city inspectors have been pushing off appraisals. When no one wants to work, everyone's just on relief, and when the city's taking forever to respond, so that's an accomplishment. Congratulations. That's awesome, and happy I was able to at least help a little bit. Hopefully, just give you some motivation or at least direction in some capacity. Thank you so much for supporting the channel. It, it does mean a lot. Um, to keep the lights on. So thank you for that. So uh, yeah, I guess that question about promotion, definitely it's it's one of those things where um, if you're providing enough value to your employer and they're afraid to lose you, they'll pay you more. Did William ask another question? Did I see him in the comments here anywhere? Okay, Mike, from last week, money times velocity of money equals quantity of stuff times price level. So money printing is way up, as you said, but velocity is equally as low. Yes, um, we did talk about this last week as well, uh, about uh, the velocity of money and the quantity of stuff. Totally, it's um, it's one of those things too where, interestingly, I was looking at some stuff around GDP-related services. Services are actually at all-time highs. Um, there's been growth in the service sector in a big way. So people ordering you know, um, food at home from their grocery store delivered. Services where you deliver fast food. All those industries have boomed in a huge way. And so there are sectors too right now that are, that just kind of gave me an idea that there are some certain sectors that they're printing all this money and they're putting this money in the hands of basically the poor, right? Like 
everyone who's wealthy isn't really qualifying for this stuff. It's you got to be laid off. You got to have no money basically to qualify for these programs. Your business has to be down, you know, X amount of percentage of revenue. You have extra expenses that you can prove that are non-deferrable. That's how you qualify for all this, you know, free money. And so they put the money in, in the consumer's hands. The question is, what are they doing with that money? And interestingly, a lot of this money is going towards service-based stuff. And so that does go back into the economy and it changes the shape of our economy, how it used to be maybe a, a product-driven economy. Now it's becoming a service-based um, economy. And I think COVID's accelerated that where people were not buying online before and now they are. People weren't you know, ordering with the services, now they are. Um, it's interesting too, or how that's gonna play out, I think, into 2021 and how that's accelerated the curve for adoption on certain things that we were five years out from adopting. As an example, like I order almost all my groceries now and have them delivered. There's a service I pay a hundred bucks a year and we got a limited number of, I think it's anything over 30 bucks, we can get delivered to our house for free. So we just order groceries whenever we want and they'll even price match in the app and they'll deliver it to our door. Just the time savings alone, forget the COVID risk, the time savings, like there's a risk going into the store or whatever, but like the time savings from bringing it to me and the gas of me driving to the store and getting it, um, it pays the hundred dollars a year, like so many times over. Um, it's just been things that I wouldn't have done before that I, I now do, right? Um, yeah, so there's been some positives out of this too, where we've accelerated the curve on some of the adoption things that we wouldn't have adopted, I don't think, at the same rates that we have. So there's stuff is some positives coming out of this too. Um, and it's interesting to see as they print all that money, who, who gets a hold of that? And one of the industries I think that's booming considerably well is a lot of the students are stuck at home online courses, anything online education, no one's going to brick and mortar anymore. And that's accelerated that curve too. Like a lot of people are saying, hey, I'm not gonna go to school anymore. COVID risk, whatever, it's all online anyway. Now people are realizing that they can get the same quality, like they don't get the experience of in-person anyway. So if they're gonna have to do like essays on topics they don't care about, or they could spend that same $8,000 tuition on online courses, for you know, real estate or personal finance or whatever they're actually interested in, they'll actually better them and get them a job and help them grow their wealth. They're gonna pivot those dollars. And so I think the online industry, I was reading some stats that it's up several hundred percent. It's a huge market. Guys like me, Kevin and Graham Stefan are just like those courses, they're solid, they have good content and they're actually helping people. And they're soaking up a lot of that, a lot of dollar, a lot of that spend. And so I'm like, geez, I should, that's an untapped market that I wanna get into. And I don't know if that's me buying into a company that's already in that space in some way, because I'm, I'm really interested in investing in that space, especially kids' education when it comes to personal finance, um, educating teens in personal finance, and adults too. Like there's so many programs that need to exist that are not good, that there's a space for it, there's a hunger for it. And I'm like, geez, I was looking for companies to buy. And then a buddy of mine's like, why don't you just create that, Mike? Like any of the companies you'd want to buy in online education, you can do a better job probably writing a better curriculum and probably more engaging, probably more relatable. Why don't you just do that? And I'm like, I'm looking to buy into these businesses. It didn't line up with what I kind of, in my core values, but I've had a change, not in heart, but in thought process around that. And I'm like, I think I could do it in an ethical way and I could start the business. And then maybe I can acquire someone who's got, you know, a cool board game or something related to teaching kids about finance. Maybe there's a way I could grow this brand combined with my brand. I don't know. I've just been noodling on that, but it's something I've been thinking about, especially with, 
with the risk of new COVID-19 strains and new viruses we're going to continue to encounter, like viral warfare is a reality of the next world war, right? And so I think we're going to have more scares like COVID-19 and we have to prepare for that, right? So it's, I think you could make a heck of a course on entrepreneurship. There you go, William. Like, I think the personal finance, the entrepreneurship, you know, basics in business, all the real estate investing courses, totally. I could load those full of, of value. Like you do a property management 101. I could create a private lending course where like you take this. And I, honestly, I would just give the course away probably in some cases. Like if someone wanted to lend with me, right? They're like, hey, I want to lend you some money, Mike. What's the process? I'd be like, take my course. Here, it's free. If someone wanted to, you know, and then if I was going to fund a deal and they were like asking questions, I'm like, here, take this course. Once you understand private lending entirely, I can have a quick conversation with you about first mortgages, second mortgages, third mortgages, rates, terms, uh, you know, lender fees, et cetera, so forth, early renewals, what the contract looks like. It would just be so much simpler if instead of me getting on the phone every time I want to do a deal, I could just send a course out be like, here, take my course. It's free. Just watch it. And then we'll have a conversation. So I can educate my customers. And if I got a property manager, as an example, I could say, Hey, watch this video. This is how to do property management. Well, instead of me having to train them all the time on the phone, about how to manage my portfolio, that's the job as a manager. I could just make a course and it could generate some revenue too. And people could you know, buy into it if they wanted to learn about property management or how to buy properties off market for 70 cents on the dollar. I could share those techniques, right? And I could give those courses away in some cases, but I think there's a space for that. And I've been shying away from it for a long time, mostly because of one, I didn't believe in my own value. I didn't believe it was right to charge for content. And I still believe it's, it's all out there for free anyway. You just got to dissect it from a million different places. But I think there is some value for having it all um, compacted into one easy to dissolve or easy to digest, um, I guess like pill or one, one course, right? You take the, take the pill and you're good to go. You watch the course and you're good to go. So. I think, um, yeah. What? Oh, social security numbers don't have, doesn't even make sense. How do I even remove this comment? Person's spamming here. Um, social, no. Social uh, insurance numbers don't have money on them. What does it make sense? It's not like a bank account. Greetings, Mr. Rosehart. Hey, greetings, D. How to? How you doing? Happy New Year, two days early. Hi, Tom. How you doing? George Z says, hi, Mike from Belleville, Ontario. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the Smith Maneuver on a mortgage. So I've covered this before, but the Smith Maneuver, for those who are unaware, is basically when you take equity in your own home and you borrow the equity out of your own home in the form of like a home equity line of credit, and you take the equity out of your home in the form of debt, so you borrow that money, and then you use that money to invest in some asset, be it by a business, a stock, real estate, something. And in the process of that, all of that debt, that interest normally on your primary residence is not tax deductible. You can't write it off. But as soon as you use the funds directly from um, that loan to invest in something, all of that um, interest, all the interest payments associated with those become tax deductible against that investment vehicle in which you put the money into. And so that, in a nutshell, is the Smith Maneuver. It's making your primary residence, the equity in it, it's taking it out, putting it to work, and then having all of that interest associated to that debt be tax deductible. And I'll get to all these questions in just a sec. I'm gonna try to blast through a few and catch up. 
Wow, Jonas. I see the chair. I'm just scrolling up here. Jonas got me the chair, too. Hey, Mike. How do you evaluate risk in each investment you make? Stocks and real estate, he says a lead investor. So, um, and yeah, Jonas got this chair. So, it's my new, uh, my new prop. Uh, Rosehart always pays his debts. So, just like a, a Lannister. Um, what was the question here? It was about evaluating risk, right? How do you evaluate risk in stocks and investments? So, whenever I make any investment, I'm always looking at it. I appeal message me and say, hey, what's the best investment? And I'm like, what do you mean what's the best investment? They're like, oh, what's the best stock? What's the best real estate vehicle? And I'm like, that's the wrong question. You're not asking it right because it's all about what you're comfortable with, with your invest investor profile and your set of criteria, right? Like one person might be found with a super high return, but can't sleep at night worried that, you know, someone's going to trash their property and et cetera and so forth. So it's really very investor dependent. But when I evaluate any type of stock or real estate or anything, I'm looking at the risk to the reward, so the return. And so if I can get a really high return for a perceived or managed low risk, that's a win. So with real estate, as an example, when I buy real estate at 80 cents on the dollar, so the minute I buy this $100,000 property, it's worth 125. Like I'm buying smart day one. So I've got money day one in my pocket. That's managed risk, right? I've already made, if the market goes down 5%, I'm still up. Um, so that's one way to manage risk is to be smart in the acquisition of the said asset. Um, but I'm looking at what is the overall like performance of said uh, investment class. That's some, another way you could evaluate the you know overall performance. You can say, hey, what has it been doing historically? And so real estate as an example is getting like 5% chugging along positively, but it could have positive cash flow too. And that's where I look at the risk to reward. And I say, okay, so what's the risk associated with, let's look at a rental property. You know, like it get trashed. It could be, um, it, it, you could look at it and say, it could be you know, maybe Airbnb you're doing too with real estate. You could say, hey, there's risks there that you get like bed bugs, there's risks they could trash the furniture, there's risks that they don't pay. They're, all these there's risks, right? They burn your house down. And then you manage that risk and you say, okay, the risk is high, but I can manage it by putting in insurance. So that lowers the risk. I could cover that. I could get insurance for Airbnb, boom. I could screen my tenants really well and have a set of procedures to make sure I don't get a bad tenant that's gonna trash a place. I could charge a security deposit in case they do anything wrong, then it's all covered by the deposit. Um, I could get their credit card on file with Airbnb. And so boom, 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 you drop the risk down and you're like, hey, I bought this property way below market. So I'm set and now you could lever up and get a really good return for almost no risk. That's a win-win. That's, that's what you're looking for when you're trying to invest in real estate. It's finding a situation where you can invest in something, have low risk and high return. That's basically the goal. So I like to lower my risk to slightly above like putting it in the bank. Like that's the kind of risk I like to look for where my money's almost guaranteed. I wanna take a risk with it. And I look for as high a possible return as I can. So when I'm doing mortgage lending or something or buying real estate or whatever, I'm looking to minimize my risk. It's the reason I don't invest in growth stocks. I'm not a growth stock guy. I don't believe in buying the potential future cash flow. You know, Elon could deliver the next best product or whatever, or he could die tomorrow. I'm not gambling on his life. I'm not interested in that. I'd rather buy a business like a utility company that's got solid cash flow paying an 8% every single year. And if it grows on top of that, bonus. If it has some things that are positive catalysts for growth in the future and capital appreciation, awesome. I'm looking for those things too. But that's not my primary investor I guess ethos or, or decision criteria matrix. It's really, it's about what is my probability of losing money? And I, I never want to lose money. 
And then I say, okay, if the probability of losing money is very, very, very low, and I can get a positive return guaranteed from cash flow, something that I can look at for sure, um, that's something where that's what I'm looking for as in a good investment. But, and I have to think about that question to give you a better answer. It was just sort of off the cuff. Um, but it's basically risk to reward. That's the most important thing to look at. So evaluate your risk. Next question. And by the way, for the 65 people that are watching this right now, can I get a thumbs up? It's like the thumbs up's the least you guys can do if you're watching. It's like clapping for someone after they give you some content. That'd be very much appreciated. I'd, I'd really, it'd mean a lot if you smash the like button. Next question is, are you religious? Thank you for the seven likes there, Scott. Uh, are you religious? Eight likes, nine likes, thank you. Um, am I religious? Yes, I am religious. I was raised um, Christian Catholic. Went to a Catholic school, an elementary school, and in high school. Um, I was baptized, confirmed, married in the church. Uh, I am religious. Um, I don't talk about it a lot on the channel because to me, it doesn't really matter what your background is. If you're you know, Muslim or Jewish or you know, whatever, atheist. It's all, like I'm accepting of all creeds and whatever, so that, does, that doesn't matter to me. I don't talk a lot about it on the channel. I don't make my channel about religion. But yeah, my, my personal beliefs, like I personally pray, I personally do believe in God. I, I believe that um, one of my favorite arguments that a friend of mine used to always say when, when challenged on his faith is, you know, what's the downside in, in believing? Like a lot of people, a lot of atheists will come out and say like, oh, like what are you doing, you know, believing in, uh, what do you do believing in, in God and this and that and they'll throw these things around about how like they're just wasting time or energy on something that doesn't exist, it's not proven. And it's like there's a lot of things that are not proven and you have to have faith, I think, in life. But he used to always say, um, you know, imagine that you're wrong. You lived your whole life being a good person, called to like a higher power, serving a higher power, meaning you're a better person your whole life. And... If you're wrong, you end up just being like a, a good person that lived a good, fulfilled life. If you're right, then you go to heaven, right? Assuming you followed everything and you were good in your life and you weren't a you know, crazy sinner. Um, if you didn't believe, then you can always think, like, what if, there, what if you're wrong and there actually is a heaven? And you, this whole time, we're, we're a non-believer. You might as well believe um, and at least, you know, try to practice because you, you can't lose. You, you know, believing in a faith, there's no real loss there. You, you either... You're either right, and in which case, huge reward at the end of your life, or you're wrong, in which case you lived a good moral life, and there, there are a good set of principles to follow. Like, well, Ten Commandments are pretty solid. Like, there's you can't really go wrong raising your kids in the faith, or you know, even just believing in faith yourself. And I'm not saying you have to be devout like ten hours a day, you know, always praying and whatever. But you know, at the end of the night, when you're by yourself, there's nothing wrong with you know putting your hands together and. and up a prayer, but I don't talk about religion all that often because I don't want to push my faith or my beliefs down someone else's throat. Uh, I will push my personal finance beliefs because I think everyone should manage their checkbook at least half decently for their, their future self. Um, so that's what this channel is about. And so I'll continue to talk about that for everyone. You got to spend less, you got to earn more, you got to maximize returns on the difference. But um, whether you believe or not, that's and whatever it is that you believe in, whatever higher power, whatever it is, if it helps motivate you to be a better person, I think that's good. I think that's a good thing in our life. And it's one of the eight dimensions in the equation to the secret of happiness. And it actually, it's been studied time and time again, but people that have faith and believe in some higher power or have something that they are, are chasing after to in, in an afterlife of some sort, they lead better lives. Like it's, it's proven they, they are happier people 
And so, I mean, you can't go wrong if you're happier. I think that's, that's the, one of the meanings of life is to strive to live your best life and to be the best person that you can be. And I think we're all called to be the best people we can be. So, okay, next question. I've lost my spot. Scrolling, scrolling. Good evening. Good evening, Mike. Hey, how you doing? Tim says, hey Mike, thoughts on USD and CAD in 2021 and beyond. Tim, um, I believe that the US dollar is going to weaken into 2021. I've seen analysts that have written um, $1.30 is the price target. Right now we're floating around $1.28, I think, last I checked. Um, I think that the, I don't know, I think the US dollar is gonna weaken. I think we're gonna get closer to par than we've been the last couple of years. So I think there might be opportunities if you're in Canadian right now to get into, to get into USD. Um, the same could be true if you had US dollars right now, converting them would be a good time actually now to think the US dollar is gonna weaken in the coming months, especially with all of the turbulence in their political atmosphere right now. And with some of the stuff I've been seeing going on um, from a world power perspective, the US used to be a large percentage of the global GDP and that's slipping quickly and they're losing out to India and China. Um, and so that's, that's gonna have impacts long-term, right? There's the US dollar fundamentally is so strong because of, well, OPEC was one, the, the original oil deal was that you had to use US dollars, like with Saudi Arabia as an example, you had to use US dollars, every country in the world had to use US dollars to buy oil. And so they, they basically made the US dollar in the 70s, after they got off the gold standard, they went to the, the Petra standard, the oil standard, and basically made the US dollar uh, like a really valuable currency that was needed around the whole world. And then China stopped using that. They have their own system, right? So there's, I think we're gonna get to a point where the reason that, and by the way, the reason that the US dollar was so strong is because the US provided military support to places like Saudi Arabia. In return, they agreed to only sell their oil in US dollars. And so you gotta remember that as the US economy gets weaker and weaker relative to India and China and some of the other nations, um, I think long-term, like in five, 10 years, the US isn't gonna be a superpower in the way that they were 10 years ago. We're seeing that, that shift in, in, buy, in GDP and just in buying power, right? And so that's gonna have long-term ramifications on the US dollar. So I'm long bear, or I'm, a, I'm bearish long-term on the US dollar 10 years from now, let's say. So that's just you know my kind of thought. I think we're gonna shift into a new, we went from the gold standard to the, the petrodollar. I don't know what is next, but I don't think it's gonna be the US dollar. Just my, my thought. Canada's kind of Switzerland, so we'll, we'll be all right, I think, over here. Although I'm not feeling so good about how much money they've been printing through COVID and how they've managed this whole situation. Our liberal government here is, has really done a pretty poor job of managing our, uh, our economic recovery. So I don't know. I don't know. Read some headlines about London tanking in 2021. You think that's true? Um, Raz, no. Uh, all the headlines I've been reading are that the London market is blowing up. London, Ontario specifically, where I am here in Canada, London, Canada, um, has been blowing up. The demand is off the shelf. Properties right now are selling like 10, 20, 30 offers on them right now. We're going into January with so much pent up demand, I suspect they won't be satiated till the summer. So I think we're gonna have the hottest spring in like since 2019 probably here in London. So it's looking like it's shaping up to be whole bunch of pent up demand and not enough supply on the market. So I don't think we're gonna see any pullback in real estate in the next few months. I think it's gonna roar 
um, we're, we're not near the tip of the, the tip of the peak yet, I don't think. But the, the fall will come, the recovery will come, the flat period will eventually come. That's just life. Chris says, how do you feel about Bitcoin, ETH, and all the other altcoins? Um, you know, I think it makes sense to be in a small percentage of your overall portfolio in the same way that I like gold or silver to be a small percentage of your portfolio as a, you know, an alternative investment. You shouldn't have all your money in a, in a currency. You should have it, you know, safe in a hard asset like a gold or silver that has some utility value as well. The problem, like the thing I like about silver as an example is that as we move into an age where we're obsessed with the latest and greatest smartphones and the newest and greatest tech, and especially I think that the gas guzzling cars are gonna go the way of the dinosaur and the EV electric vehicles are gonna make a big uh, appearance in our society here in North America. I think most people are gonna shift to the faster, better, cleaner EV. And they need a lot of silver in that manufacturing process, right? For all the, for a lot of the tech. So I like silver, not only as a store of value, it's the poor man's gold from a, like a store of value perspective, but I like it better than the altcoins because it has utility value. There isn't a whole lot of utility value with some of the cryptocurrencies other than I can see it being used for some underworld type shady stuff. I can see it being used for, um, certain purposes where you would want to involve the government, I guess. I can see it in areas where you're worried about um, currency, uh, I guess, costs to exchange the currency back and forth or instability in the currency. So doing business in a crypto could make sense from that perspective. Um, so there is value in, in cryptocurrency, don't get me wrong, but you've got to find a way to take your cryptocurrency and put it to work. Just holding on to it isn't a good investment. I'd like to see you take that crypto and lend it out, provide liquidity for the exchange or something and make some sort of five, 6%. So you're getting some cash flow from your crypto holdings. And that wasn't a big thing until more recently. We're seeing a lot more of that. And so I think there's a play for that. I'm not putting it all in crypto, but I think a percentage of your net worth could make sense, a small percentage. Same as any other asset class long-term. I like it better than holding like currency like Canadian for sure. Okay. Good evening. Hey, thank you for the comment. Appreciate it. Next one's, uh, I'm 19, living with my parents. I have 12,000 in stocks, 7,000 in hard assets, including cash. If you were me, would you pull out of the market? The economy seems unstable, but it seems like it's doing fine. Um, you know what I'm more afraid of than the economy right now and the stock market pulling back? Hades, the God. Um, look at that Greek, Greek mythology right there. Um, is holding money in cash, holding your net worth in a currency, in a physical currency, like the US dollar or Canadian dollar. I think we're gonna see a huge pullback in buying power. Um, and so that's what I'm, I'm more afraid of, is having your money doing nothing, sitting on the sidelines. Uh, more safer, if you're really afraid, a more safer uh, place to park your money is in something like silver, or maybe find a cryptocurrency or something, and silver, whatever. I like silver better, to be honest physical silver because it's appreciated in the last year you doubled your money already it's a full double more than double and it's got good utility value it's got a long term it's got good underlying fundamental value and so i think that's a better place if you're really afraid of the market but i believe that all the ships are going to rise and so you want to be in something that's going to appreciate uh, ideally so we'll see i could be wrong
Next question. I'm gonna do a lightning round and see if I can catch up because there's a lot of questions. You can ask me anything. And uh, on this episode, we got a lot of questions. I'm trying to find the spot. Okay, I found it. So to get a single family fixer upper with an unfinished basement that can be renovated into another unit in London and do a burr with it, how much do you think is needed? Thanks again, Mike. Uh, it's so, there's so many variables. You could buy a condo and do that. You could buy a freehold attached house. You could buy a small little shack in East London that's got two bedrooms up and one bedroom down that meets that criteria for like 300 grand or 350 grand. But probably you're gonna be in the 250 to 500,000 range here in London, Ontario to do that type of conversion if you're staying out of the really ritzy areas. Um, so between 250,000 and 500,000, all in, including renovations, approximately. Next question. I have a question about the 1031 exchange and it's a US real estate option. Um, yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with the 1031 exchange, but not an expert. I'm just not sure how familiar you are with it. So how to I'm not hugely familiar with it. My understanding is that you can buy an asset and then sell it and you have a certain amount of time to basically port the profits from that into another deal, in which case you don't have to pay the capital gains tax, they're deferred. In Canada, we don't have that. If you sell a property, that's it. You have to pay capital gains tax on it. There's no way to defer it. The only way that I know how to defer it is to buy inside of a corp and then transfer the shares to someone else. And so the property stays within that corp and there's an actual transfer of title. But then when you sell the shares, there could be some tax ramifications there. So there are some sneaky bear trust agreement ways to move real estate, which I've seen done. Um, I don't know if it's sneaky, but like you've got to be pretty, have a good lawyer um, who documents things well to do it properly. Um, that's where people kind of mess up. And so that's what I know in Canada. Um, not an expert. I don't feel comfortable in answering any complex tax questions. As an Australian, where can I learn about foreigners buying Canadian or US real estate? Fire Junkie, probably as an Australian, you'd be looking to. I don't know why, I know why you wouldn't invest in Australia, to be honest, but I guess if you wanted to invest outside of Australia, go find on Google some resources of people who are doing that and then follow them um, through the journey. I've never done it. I've never gone from Australia and, and bought in Canada or the US, but I know people who are foreigners who have bought here in, in Canada and they've had to put around 25 to 30% down, typically 30% down. So there are banks who will lend to you. There are um, options where you can, you can buy for sure as an Australian here in Canada. But they're, depending on the municipality, like in Toronto, there's a foreign buyer's tax. Here in London, I don't think we have a foreign buyer's tax that I'm aware of. So there are, there are areas in Canada you can invest where there's no foreign buyer's tax on the real estate that you're buying. Those areas would be places you'd obviously want to invest. And uh, yeah, if you're qualifying, if you're looking for a mortgage, like I said, 30% down, 70% mortgage is probably the best you're going to do as a foreign investor. So your leverage isn't quite as good. Maybe your rates are a little bit higher, but not a terrible prospect if you can buy the right deal. Next question. Are there any markets left in Southern Ontario where you can still do a perfect burr? Sad, you can do a perfect burr anywhere. Like I know people doing perfect burrs in Toronto. Um, there's no city you can't do a perfect burr in. Um, it's as, I would say it's easier now to do a perfect burr than it was five years ago here in London. I'll give you an example. I'm taking a couple deals right now that are perfect burrs. I have like three deals lined up that are perfect burrs right now, closing in the next little bit. Um, one of them I'm actually assigning it, so I'm wholesaling it. But um, the fee is just, it just makes sense for me to get a nice, clean 
in this case, a 50 grand fee, as opposed to doing it myself and making a six figure payout. I'd rather make some money and do no work. Um, but in, in this case, there are wholesalers all the time who are passing on deals that are, this deal I just wholesale is almost a full burn. Um, but as an example, there are lots of opportunities where people don't realize the value of what they have. So you can find something off market or you can find something that's beat up and distressed. The market's been beating up on some of the distressed properties in certain streets and certain conditions with certain tenants in them or things like that, where you can really add some real value. And because the market's appreciating so much in a hot market like this, it's so hard not to burn. Like in a six month period, your property could go up 10%. In the last couple of years, anyone who bought any property, like in 2020, if you bought a property in March, by September, you'd already done a full burr, even if you bought stupid, because the market was appreciating like crazy. So it's been easier to burr now more than ever before. But um, yeah, there are tons of opportunities all over the place, but you have to know where to look. They're not easy to find. If a burr by definition means you doubled your down payment. So you're asking me, is it easy to find 100% return annual, almost in a safe asset like real estate, that has positive cash flow, um, why is that hard to find? And I'm like, because it's 100% return, it has to be hard, it has to require skill. There are people who have the skill who are banging them out all the time. Like I'm, I, a lot of the deals I'm doing are burrs, and it's, it's very common. I know a lot of the top executors in my market are, are still burring consistently, right? Um, it's more expensive to burr here. Like you might do a 400,000 burr that ARV is at 600,000. That makes it less approachable from a cost perspective, you know, qualifying for the mortgage and et cetera and so forth but it's still doable, just the price points are all a little bit higher. And so you have to look for, if you're not able to qualify for that bigger mortgage, you've gotta look for that smaller property in London in the rougher areas. So you gotta get into East London and Soho and all the rougher areas and you'll find stuff there that can make sense. And it's not gonna be easy. You're gonna to have to look at 100 properties and probably offer on 100 properties to find one as you learn. And so you're gonna go offer on 10 properties and you're like, I've offered on 10 properties, Mike, like I give up. And it's like, you're just getting started, you're just learning. This is like, of course, after 10 offers, you haven't found the right bird. You're, you're just getting started. How many have you done, right? Um, but they're out there. They're out there. Uh, I am an agent myself. Um, I do have people out bird dogging for me. I do have wholesalers out there looking for me. And I do have agents that know I'm a professional buyer and they'll call me. And that's the biggest value add is being that guy that they know you'll close. So when someone calls me and says, I have a deal, I'm like, give me 10 minutes. I'm like, done, sight unseen. That kind of buyer gets the burr. And I'll always get the deal over someone who's like, mm, I gotta go see it, I gotta run my numbers, I don't know, I'm not sure. Like I know my market cold. Someone brings me a house without even seeing inside, in some cases I know exactly what I'm looking for. And so that's a big one I think is becoming an, a market expert. That's how you pick up the burr before anyone else. Because in the markets like these, it doesn't take long to get rid of a burr, right? They can call three people and the burr's gone, yeah, right? So you gotta think through, um, you got to think through how are you going to get the burr from the person who, who's got the opportunity. Well, one, it's networking. And two, it's being a closer. So, there, I mean, there are other approaches too to getting deals. You don't have to just be those. There are people who take on their first deal. And most of the time, your first deal isn't a full burr, by the way. So you have to go through it for your first deal, fail, and then learn from that, right? So just expect that's part of the process. I'm gonna answer this one out of turn. What broker do you use for your investments? Um, I've used Quest Trade, Interactive Brokers, and with Scotia, uh, Private Wealth, Private Banking, McLeod. So those are the three that, uh, that I've personally used, but I hear good things from lots of other platforms. There are so many questions here. Jeez, guys, I love it. So many.
you think buying a condo in Montreal is a good idea? Do you think prices will drop in the next one to three years? Savon, I have no idea about the Montreal market, so I can't give any sort of overview or um, I wish I had any, any data to go on, but I can't give you any recommendation without data. Um, typically what we know is that long-term real estate appreciates in value. And so the price of, everyone's like, hey, prices of houses are insane right now. I'm like, literally everyone said that all the time for the last hundred years. Like in 1950, they're like, the prices of real estate are so high. Like you've got to, um, you know, they're, it's going to crash. And I'm like 10, 20 years from now, like everyone's going to look back and be like, everything was so cheap. Like we're going to be like, wow, $400,000 houses in London, so cheap. Like now they're all a million, right? Like in 20 years, we're going to look back and say that, right? And so probably in Montreal is the same thing, especially the Canadian dollar, um, instead of going through a hyperinflation period, goes through a currency destabilization. I think that the value of real estate will hold strong because it's a solid asset like cryptocurrency or gold or silver. It, re it retains its value despite what the currency is doing. So I think that what we're going to see is you're going to need more dollars to buy that physical hard asset. So I think that you know you can't go wrong buying a property, especially if you're going to house hack, live in it. Re house hacking is the idea you live in it, you rent out a portion of it, like it's a duplex or something, and you live for free. That's a huge win. Even if the price goes down in real estate, you still won because you've lived for free. Um, so that's the way to go about you know, taking down a property. And at least you're into the housing market now. And if things go crazy and prices appreciate, you've got some real estate in the game and you get to enjoy that appreciation. Be a part of it. Next question. If you had 10 million, how would you allocate that across real estate stocks, private lending from a percentage point of view? Well, it would depend on the opportunities that I had available and it would also depend on so many different factors from a lifestyle perspective. But me personally, right now, and this always changes depending on the mood that I'm in or the people that I'm talking to, uh, I'm extremely bullish on real estate right now. I think there's a lot of appreciation upside for 2021. So I think a good portion of that 10 million, I would lever up and put into real estate. So I put, let's say 30%, so 3 million bucks, but I'd lever that up five to one. So I put 20% down. So $3 million of the 10 million would go into buying $15 million in real estate holdings, cash flowing strong properties that have upside for opportunity to be added to it, as well as cash flow to service the debt. So there you got $15 million in real estate right there, and you've still got $7 million left over. So then I would take the $7 million and I'd probably put it in a stock portfolio with private banking, and I go to the line of credit on that $7 million. I get a line of credit for 70% on the stock portfolio. They'll do that all the time, private banking, especially with 7 million bucks. If you walked in with 7 million bucks, invest it with an advisor, build a stock portfolio, custom with them, and then borrow against the blue chip stuff. So then I get a lot of credit on that 7 million for almost about 5 million bucks. So I have a lot of credit for 5 million bucks. I put that 5 million bucks into lending. So I have $7 million in stocks. I have $15 million in real estate holdings. And by the way, that $15 million in real estate holdings, if I was smart about it, it's probably already worth 20 million right now because I got 25% upside right off the bat, buying smart. So I've got $20 million in real estate holdings on my $3 million I put up. I've already made 5 million. So I've got 8 million in equity sitting in the portfolio and it's producing cash flow every month. And I got the $7 million stock portfolio, which is producing $400,000 a year in dividends, as well as some capital appreciation, probably another 400,000 in capital appreciation a year. And I've got a line of credit at prime plus a half, let's call it, that I put into lending, which is just borrowed against my, my stock portfolio. And that will go towards by businesses or lending, and that five million bucks would get me say 12%, 1% a month just for easy math. That's another uh, 50 grand a month in passive income. So with 10 million bucks, you should easily be able to give yourself a seven figure um, passive income strategy where you would definitely not be able to spend it all and you'd be growing. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I would handle it. 
it's weird how, how easy that question was for me. It's almost like you wrote that question just for me once. Um, any tips for beginners getting into building cash flow and dividend paying stock portfolio to cover expenses? Um, you know, I, I think when you're just getting started, you should get, you should lever up. It's the most important thing you can do. So if you don't have a lot of money, you gotta be buying on, buying stuff on margin, getting into options trading. We can really, even if you're long on a stock and you're like, okay, I'm going to okay holding this stock. If you can play up or you can get the stock for a deal using, you know, like a, a call option, um, that's, that's the way to go. But from a dividend perspective, if you're trying to generate income and you don't have very much, you're just getting started, there's, there shouldn't be a huge focus on the dividend because I don't know, like if you're getting a 7% return on a thousand dollars, who cares? Like that's, we're talking 70 bucks a year. Um, from yeah, That's a 7% utility paying dividend stock. So it doesn't really matter when you don't have a lot to play with. I think you should be focused on where am I gonna be able to invest it to not lose my money? Because you gotta remember, that if you lose, if your stock goes down 50%, you don't have a stop loss set and you lose 50%, you need a hundred percent gain to get back the 50% you lost. So you need double the gain to get back the loss. Don't forget that rule. It's the most important thing you can ever do is to never lose money in building a portfolio. But probably if you're not very experienced, just go like go to like Wealth Simple and get a robo advisor to put your money to work and focus on earning more and saving. And as long as you're in, with a robo advisor, set it into, you know, a balanced ETF portfolio, you'll get your 7-8%, you'll grow with the S&P 500, you'll be good to go until it's a considerable amount of money built up and then worry about, you know, exactly a 7% return versus a 10% return or 15% return. That's sort of my, my thoughts there. Wow, look at that chair, I see that comment. At first I thought it was the hair because the last three times he's like hair, hair, hair. <laughs> Where do you find below market houses? I kind of covered that question already. Do you take capital gains tax into consideration when renting a basement or a whole home? Um, well, I suppose so. Um, the, you're gonna have tax no matter what, like whether it's a duplex, a single family house, a 10 unit building. When you have a gain and you make money, the government's gonna want a piece of that appreciation that you've got or that profit on sale and that's called the capital gain. Um, you're gonna for sure have to, to factor that into your, your overall plan, but don't let the tax, there's a saying in the accounting world, in the tax world, they say, don't let the uh, tax tail wag the dog. So don't make any decisions based solely on tax. Uh, try to make money on what you're doing, try to maximize that and let taxes be an afterthought. But of course, if you can structure more efficiently to avoid tax, you should. Um, you should consult the accountant and structure appropriately. Um, but yeah, of course, whenever I'm investing in, in anything, I'm looking for an upside and it's not my primary objective when I'm investing, but of course I'm looking for that upside for sure. Happy holidays. Thank you, Elliot. Are there any markets left in Southern Ontario where you can still do a perfect burr? Yes, answer that question already. Uh, say you had to start from scratch in this environment, knowing what you know now. How would you grow your network? Burr, I think you mean net worth, but network, I would be networking to grow my network. Could you walk me through an example? Um, so in this market, starting all over again, I would do exactly what I did last time, only I would do it on steroids and I wouldn't join Metro Partner. I did way too many JV Partners. I worked way too cheaply. I did deals before where in the beginning where I did all of the renovations, all of the work for like 10% of the profit. And in some cases I did, full JV deals where I did all the work for nothing, zero. They just 
we're like, we're not going to pay you, sue us. Um, so going on title would have been smart. But uh, <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I've done a lot of things wrong along the way. And I'd probably do it again, but I would do it way more strategically. I'd be looking for the right opportunities. I'd be honed in on the deal before anything else. And then I'd be honed in on executing well on that deal. And those are the two things. Is That's the secret. Um, probably I would raise the money as opposed to having the partners. I think it's easier. Just so much less headache not having partners to be accountable to. In some cases, it can be a value. Like there's some times where the partner was like whipping me and that kept me going. And so there are cases where some deals make sense to have a partner. And it's like, I would have, I'm further along having had a partner, but sometimes it doesn't make sense. So the JVing thing, that's a personality thing. It's a deal specific. Um, sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, I would just buy the first property. You can watch my Burr video if you wanna see exactly how a Burr goes, but I don't wanna rehash. I have two videos out on that. One of them in front of a whiteboard and I literally walked through how to get, what is it, 10 properties in under three years. So you watch that video, it's a good one. That'll walk you through the process for Burr. And basically just all the numbers are the same, just adjust the average house price up 40%. The, the ARVs are up 40%, the purchase price up 40%, the renovations up, you can do that 40% too. The numbers still work the exact same, there's, there's no difference. Um, just the end value is higher. And so as a percentage, it's all the same. You still pull all your money out. The burr still works now. It's just more expensive to acquire that first house. You need a little more capital. Real estate's becoming more capital intensive as the prices go up. But still works with a $400,000 house as it did with a $200,000 house. There's no difference. The ARVs at the end still will work the same way. Okay. Um, how to plan your future finances and manage tax. Basically be in a sound financial state whilst having a good life. Um, I think the way that you do that is you watch your money and you build net worth statements and you track what you're doing and et cetera and so forth. Um, follow along with people who are, who are doing it and annually review your financial plan and make a financial plan and check in on it. Uh, how do you find a good real estate agent? If you're in London, Ontario, you reach out to me. Um, you use me in my brokerage. But, um, you know, I think the, the way to find a good agent is to... Look for someone who's, look for an agent who's working for investors doing exactly what you already want. So if you're looking for burrs, find an investor who focuses on investment properties that they add a ton of value to. Or if you're looking for, like don't go to the, the mom and pop realtor that's at the open house. That, that's not the realtor you want for finding your rental properties to burr. You want someone who understands cap rates, who understands, who has the connections to contractors and mortgage brokers and et cetera and so forth. Your agent is your most powerful teammate or ally in your real estate investing journey. Like they're like, that's like part of your power team. So you gotta have a good agent or agents um, that you can work with. And I recommend being exclusive to one agent as opposed to having agents. Cause as soon as they know you have multiple agents, none of them are gonna be loyal to you. And so I think there's some, something to be said about loyalty. My first 30 deals, I used one agent, only him. And if there's another agent involved, I was like, no, I have an agent that I'm working with. This is the person they're gonna work with you. Even if I found the deal, I'd, I'd bring them in. And that's kind of how I did it um, in the beginning. But now I am an agent, so obviously I use myself, but myself and, and AJ at our uh, brokerage. Our brokerage is literally Investor's Choice Realty. All we do is investment properties. Like that's our, our specialty. A lot of realtors don't specialize in proper investment properties. They're like, they're selling houses and they're, they're not focused on the investment stream. So yeah. 
if you haven't watched my videos, you gotta go watch them, friend Barista. The year's been very good. I've done very, very well through COVID. If you watch earlier in the stream, I'd actually talked specifically about um, this year. So go back in the stream, you can, you can watch that. I actually recapped that a little bit for 2020. When I did my, my goal setting for 2021, I talked a little bit about that. Tom says, I'm feeling discouraged. How do I find cheap properties? Well, cheap might not be the right word. Um, you might not want a cheap property. You might want a low cost property that's got a lot of value add. I don't care if I can fix them and put the time in. Can we trust a real estate agent to help me find a cheap property? Um, well, yeah, you just have to give the criteria you're looking for, right? Um, there are properties right now in London under 400,000, lots of them. Under 300,000, there's even a few available, right? So you just have to be looking, knowing what you're looking for and telling the agent to look for that. And how do you find a good real estate agent? I think I answered that question already. Um, where could I best learn about foreigners um, buying real estate? Answer that question already. Answer this question already. Should you get a real estate license if you plan on investing and managing your own properties? Tom, it depends. I think if you're gonna do more than 10 transactions a year, it makes sense to have your real estate license. If you don't wanna do more than 10 property deals per year, it doesn't make sense to have your license because they're like six grand, like you're 500 bucks a month just in fees to keep your license alive. And there's time you have to invest into it. So I think you really have to decide what you wanna be doing with your time. And if it's just buying your own properties, you only wanna buy a couple a year, probably doesn't make sense. But it could if you're gonna do a lot of deals. Count me in if you make a course on private lending. Also, I saw a comment you previously made about using Olympia Trust for lending money. Olympia Trust is for registered funds, for sure, for your RRSPs and TFSAs. Why did you choose them over other companies? I, again, like, you can, there's tons of other companies better than Olympia Trust, actually, that I've uncovered now. People have sent me links about. So if anyone has in the comments better uh, companies to use other than Olympia Trust, I'd be open to hearing about them. Um, I haven't done a ton of registered, um, what do you call it, registered lending where you take basically what's in your RSP and you lend it out as a mortgage. And same with your TFSA, tax-free savings account. But you can do that through companies like Olympia Trust. And I'd be happy to, to share, there's like five I can pick out and share in that said course when I make it. Mitchell, good to see you on. How do we find a house wholesaler? Um, well, the challenge too is the ones that are really, really well known, Tom, are already have a buyer's list of like 200 people. And there's probably already 10 people at the top, people like me, that are cash buyers, ready to go, that'll close without seeing the property. And it's hard for you to compete with those people because they've got the experience, right? So you gotta find someone who's not a big wholesaler, in my opinion. I think it's better to find like a guy who's just doing his first or second or third wholesale deal. That's the ideal. And you'll find those people at networking events, most likely. That's the place where I find them most often. But my channel has tended to draw those people into. They reach out to me and, hey, I'm looking to wholesale my second deal. Love your channel, Mike. So that's kind of how I've been able to, to source people with off-market deals. But another way probably is through Kijiji or Facebook. You'll see them posting looking for properties. And so if they're looking for properties, then they, that's probably the, they want to wholesale it, right? So you reach out and say, hey, do you ever assign deals? And they'll tell you, yeah or no. You can go on their list. Should a rec room, not a bedroom, have a door on it asking for a friend? Um, rec room can have a door on it. It's no big deal. There's nothing in the code that says you can't have a, a door to a rec room, uh, especially if it doesn't have a closet. How could they argue it's a bedroom if it doesn't even have a closet, especially if it was in a basement? Thoughts on SPACs? Thanks in advance. Um, Demos, Megan, I don't even know what SPAC is. My, my brain is like brain fog. I need some sleep. 
if I'm supposed to know what that term is, I'm sorry, guys. Like, if everyone's laughing at me, like, oh, Mike doesn't know what SPACs are. Um, I, maybe I do. I don't even know. I'll be moving to Canada in September for my master's program. Please guide me how to manage finances while studying and post-completion on my course to pay off my student loans. Uh, well, the first thing to understanding personal finance is to realize you need to be tracking what you're spending. And so track what you're earning, track what you're spending, and then say, okay, is there a way I can shave down on my spending category? And the answer is always yes. There is always a way you can get the same thing for less. Um, so many examples I could give. You can watch some of my videos on frugality where I talk about how to live well on minimum wage, frugal tips, like look at all that. There's tons of options where you can save a lot of money on things like groceries. People are like, oh, I can't get, I can't get my food budget below 200 bucks a month. And I'm like, I can show you right now how you can buy that same food for 150 bucks a month using apps like Flip here in Canada where you can price match and buy the cheapest item that's a loss leader. Uh, at all the different grocery stores, you can price, price match that at Walmart or Superstore. There are 10% off groceries, as an example, at Superstore on Tuesdays here in, in uh, Ontario, in Canada. So there's an example there, it's 10% right there. If your grocery budget's 300 bucks a month, there's 30 bucks you just saved right there. But you gotta be, you've gotta be spending a lot less than you're earning and then putting that money to work towards paying off that debt, right? Or investing it. If, in your case, probably paying off the debt would make more sense if it bears any interest. If it's interest-free debt, then invest it until the time in which they start charging you interest and then pay it off. Um, but yeah, I think that the secret is you've got to find ways to earn more money. So when you're doing your full-time master's program, why can't you also have a part-time job where you're earning a little side hustle money and you're trying to save money and all of a sudden your gap between what you're earning because you're earning more and what you're spending because you're spending less is getting bigger. So I get running out of questions. I'm 66 minutes in and I want to say goodnight to my other daughter. So I got to, I'm going to pick three questions. I thought I'd get through all the questions tonight, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to get through them all. Um, I agree with you on religion. Amen. Mr. Rosert. Thank you, D. How do Mike Rosert's three commandments of personal finance, spend less, earn more, maximize returns. hundred percent. I've said it on every video now and, uh, I can't hammer it home hard enough. Like that's the overarching levers to wealth building. Everyone who's built wealth at least had a basic understanding of those. Or if they haven't, then they've at least been respecting them without knowing it. Interest rates depend more will depend more than anything on the Federal Reserve. They have said they will keep interest rates at 0 2.25% until COVID's economic damage has subsided. No time soon. They have said that. Um, they may be forced to raise interest rates in order to combat or stave off um, some currency devaluation or even some hyperinflation. So we'll see. It's one of the, the levers in their toolbox. Do you trade in USD any way to avoid FX charges? Um, the only ways that I know to avoid FX charges or the way I used to do it when I was trading is if you buy a stock on the Canadian exchange and then journal it to the, like some companies trade on both the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange, and say the New York Stock Exchange, you can journal, it takes like a three, four, five days to journal shares across exchanges and there's no uh, currency cost. They will, let's say you have a gold company and the gold company trades on the TSX and on the New York Stock Exchange, the NYSE, you can journal those shares over to USD and whatever the shares are trading at in USD, um, you'll get the shares there and you can just sell them. Boom. There's no currency at all. So that's where that's where you can move the currency from Canadian to USD or back and forth with no currency fee. But you've got to look out because sometimes there's different economic factors playing on the shares. And so there might be more than just the currency difference between the two shares. Even though it's the exact same company, just trading on two different exchanges, um, sometimes there'll be discrepancies there. But that's a way to get your money across 
with no currency fees. Um, I trade, you can actually trade FX too. You can literally trade and have almost no fees. Don't go into the bank and buy or sell currency. That's, they've got it marked up like four or 5%. You get raped and ravaged, taken for a ride. Hey, thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate that. Thank you for being my real estate agent and finding me the perfect home. Jimmy, actually, of all the houses I've seen this year, um, Jimmy's house is top notch. One of the best deals I've seen for a single family um, opportunity. Fantastic. Um, for what he got, like the sheriff, the, it's got the old mayor's house. I mean, you can't really go wrong there. Um, it, was, it was a steal of a deal. So that one's one that I almost had to take down for myself. You know when Mike Rosart says, when he's out there looking with, with someone for a house, and I'm like, I gotta take this deal down myself. That's when it's a good deal. That's when you know. If I'm not interested in it, that's when you know. It's like, okay, there's something wrong here. Um, Rex Mode says, I'm 16, I wanna go to college, but I do wanna do house flipping when I turn 18. What should I do and how can I find a mentor? Rex Mode, you gotta find a mentor. You're not gonna know what you're doing to get into house flipping. You're gonna lose a lot of money if you don't have someone you can partner with and learn from. I think it's smarter to start by working for someone who's doing what you wanna do, even if it's working for free for the first year, just to learn. I think the value of college and university is just, it's going down um, in a big way. And I think that it could be a waste of money in some cases. There are opportunities to learn all of what you're learning in school online. And so for some people, it makes sense not to go. Um, there is something to be said about building the resume and having that you know, piece of paper, especially if you did like a one-year general business. That's a smart way to start, I think. Maybe you can mentor with someone and do the one-year general business. And then it's like, okay, you can pivot from there and decide if it is something you actually like because you're so young, you don't know, right? pick one more question I'm trying to pick one that's not so long there's so many here that I didn't answer uh, this is Winnipeg one here I could answer uh, how would you invest in markets like Winnipeg that are relatively flat? Um, can you still do the, the Burr method? Yeah, you totally can in a flat market. It's easier to find those opportunities sometimes, but there's no appreciation left, so it can be a little tough. Um, flipping too can be a little bit more difficult. You gotta be good at what you do in a flat market to flip and do well. Um, pick one more here. Um, watching some of your older videos, Mike, they're still super. Oh, nice. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that comment. That wasn't the question, just a comment. So I'll look for another question. The consistency is magnificent. Keep it up. Thank you, Teddy. Appreciate that. Uh, any advice for American investing? I'm not an expert on uh, FATCA, so I, I won't speak to that. But there are some implications, obviously, with that. New chair looks super comfy. To be honest, it's not the most comfortable chair, but it is really nice leather, um, soft to the touch, and it looks hella good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really nice chair. It's an expensive chair. And Jonas, Papa Jonas, he uh, splurged. Uh, I'm not gonna answer that question. It'll take too long. Um, Scotiabank, as an example, or any of the major banks will lend against stock portfolios, 70% loan to value. Um, but they have to manage it. It has to be in the private banking sector and you have to have a guy on their side that you're paying to manage it. And they'll build the portfolio and then they'll lend against it. Mostly blue chip stuff, unfortunately. But uh, you can bring, build a pretty sick dividend portfolio out of blue chip stuff. So 
there's some opportunities there. Investing sounds like coupon stacking. Uh, I'm gonna pick one more question here. Farmland REITs, don't know anything about them. Not a big fan to be honest because there's not much cash flow in farmland, it's all appreciation. Where's Salsa Puck? Let me, let me grab him here, hang on. I just saw Jonas' comment about missing George's comment. Oh, where did I, where did I see it? The new chair looks super comfy, I got that one. Any advice for American Canadians investing in Canada? I'll, I'll talk offline with you about that. Um, I'm not super knowledgeable on the, the FATCA rules. I've glanced over them with my own interactions, um, but we'll, we'll talk offline about that, Georgie. Okay, I gotta let it go, guys. It's been 73 minutes and I'm exhausted.